No, it gets me all hot and bothered. What? In a negative way. In a negative way. You know, because we just discussed this off air. Yeah. We'll surprise the audience by pretending we don't know. What What could it be, Kib? Do tell. Ho, ho, ho. Well, you know when you go into the bookstore and you find a really cool book with a fancy cover and gold pages, but then when you go to buy the book, Barnes & Noble, they slap on that big ugly sticker on the back and you get home and you go to peel it. And it doesn't peel off, does it, Spencer? Never It never off. just comes right off. Nope. Borders used to have high-quality stickers. You buy a book from Borders, Comes right off. Yeah, half price books. Half price book stickers comes right off. And like a lot of times their books are shit. shit. <laughs> so it's like why why bother trying to keep them pristine? But they do. <laughs> yeah. But for some reason, Barnes and Noble, the main bookseller in the United States, their fancy edition books, they slap those big fucking stickers on and they just rip, 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 and it's just they super glue them. Mm-hmm. Why? And then even if you do get the sticker off, they're still like a sticky patch always residue i have so many books have sticky residue now there's another issue that also bothers me about the stickers they have the technology to not do it (laughs) yeah i'm not even talking about the other bookstores barnes and noble specifically has the technology (laughs) not to do it because i buy certain books from barnes and noble that have the sticker on it that come right off they have the easy peel stickers they also what they'll do with the collector's editions that i usually buy they have them wrapped yeah and then the stickers on the wrapping Mm. I brought this up because I just recently purchased this Le Mort de Arthur, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table by Sir Thomas Mallory. I found a very pristine, fancy edition of this book. Very cool. But on the back, and you folks can see this on my Instagram at Caleb James 1986. I posted, actually, I made it, think I made it in my story, so you probably can't see it anymore. Mm. Sorry about your luck, but they put this big fucking sticker off and I could not peel it properly. And what did the sticker even say? It was just a barcode price tag ticker. Sticker. Uh. Just a garbage sticker, a generic sticker that did not need to be there. You know what else is atrocious? What's that? Some booksellers put the sticker on the inside page, and it rips the page sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that's infuriating. I'm trying to think, because I also have other sticker-related grievances (laughs) that I don't think are related to books, but I can't quite remember. Oh, yes, I do. I remember. When I go grocery shopping, this is off topic, but it's adjacent topic. I purchase certain items, and the barcode is in an inconvenient place that mm. cannot scan. And I go through the self-checkout all the time. One of the worst ones are coffee creamers because they've always put the barcode. It's not Walmart or whatever store you're buying it from. It's the actual company put the barcode on the wonky bit that's, like, rippled. Yeah. So you can never get a good barcode or, scan. Or, like, a lot of them on the baseboard have, like, a like an upside bowl, like, you know... Mm indentation in the bottom of it yeah it'd be like along there and like in that little bowl and it's like how can you scan that now where the walmart and other distributors of fine groceries are at fault was when it comes to prepared meals oftentimes the employee Mm. who probably doesn't care about their job i imagine does not put that sticker on the top the nice barcode sticker that you can easily scan nor do they put it on the bottom so you can swipe it across the register scanner no, they put, it, the side. they put it right over the line where the package opens. So you cannot fucking get it to scan without straightening it out. If you don't rip it, usually mm-hmm. it rips, and then you're fucked. If you can manage to straighten it out, now your product's open. Yeah. Why is there no training for that? Do they train for that? I don't no, know. Probably not. Probably not. But it, it infuriates me. These are the injustices of the world that bother me on the subconscious level. Yeah. These are those little micro aggravations, I call them. 
that that slowly build up into a, a festering rage that gets taken out on <laughs> some poor soul that had nothing that had nothing to do with any of it. Yeah. So <laughs> screw you, old lady, for pulling in front of me. So when you are going through the same five traffic lights for the 80th time this year, and then they turn red right before you get to the light every fucking time, and there's no cars going the other way, and then it sets you off and you get out and you just start running naked through the street screaming, it probably started with the stickers. <laughs> it's probably the stickers fault. <laughs> I'm using that as an example because I'm not at the level, I think because of my age now, I don't think I would get violent in public. Maybe, but some people they just get uh, very violent in Waffle Houses. I find a lot of a the lot internet. of times in Waffle Houses. It seems to be the Waffle House is not. It's not a ill house of ref repute repute refute. I think it's refute. Mm. Try this. This is gonna go into the episode where we're not so smart. Yeah. So that's fine that we fucked that up. A little bit of primer. Yeah, a little primer. But it's what is that buzzing? Oh, I thought that was just in my head. No, you know what? That is the wine cooler. Oh, the damn wine cooler. Fucking wine cooler that I put beer in that doesn't <laughs> fit properly. Another annoyance. The shelves do not <laughs> fit beers. They only fit wine bottles, and I don't drink wine. So, that was a gift that was almost good. Almost. <laughs> not quite, but it is. And I looked up the shelves, and they're like $150 to buy new shelves. So Is that like per shelf or like a set of shelves? Um, I don't know. For the specific shelves, they're more than the refrigerator cost. Very stupid. So, folks, I don't think we need to talk about our grievances anymore. But if you agree with some of those, we would love to hear it. And if you have micro grievances of your own, micro aggravations as I call it, I would love to hear about them, and maybe we'll discuss them on air. Because I'm sure we share. I'm, most I was just, of them. I was just thinking that should just be the new cold open every week. Is just micro. <laughs> that's not a good. I need a new term that I can say better. Uh, micro aggravations. Me, yeah. You have any off the top of your head you want to name before we go? You got ten seconds. Ten. Life. Like well, that's a mate. That's a macro uh. aggravation. Uh, you know what, Spencer? For shame. For shame. Here's one when I drive in cars with people and they don't ever put their seatbelt on, it just beeps and beeps Beep. and beeps and beeps. Beep. I'm like, put the fucking seatbelt on. I hate it. Uh, so, anyway, folks, stick around and we have a spectacular episode today. You are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, the self-anointed, because <laughs> he gave your name, this name yourself for some reason, Spencer, the Denver Dildo Dealer Church. I, I kind of feel like the little kid in, in Big Daddy who got to pick his own name. <laughs> I wipe my own ass. Cole Sprouse, by the way, folks, just in case you're wondering, that kid grew up to be... Actually, it was both of the Sprouse brothers in that movie, I yeah, believe. one of them. I'm not speaking into my microphone. Or is my voice just not carrying... O okay. Uh, you know what we're talking about, Spencer? No, I don't, actually. How dumb we are. But as a precursor to how dumb we are, I wanted to discuss something very magical. Okay. I never thought about this. We always talk about the most, like we've done many times on this, the most challenging books, the most difficult books, things like that, like Finnegan's Wake is mm -hmm. the biggest example. That always comes number one or in the top five. Because uh, that one's so indecipherable, people don't even consider that something you'd read. So then they maybe go into like Gravity's Rainbow or Infinite Jest or one of those other infamously difficult books. But I was wondering, is there an actual reading level? Like what do they use in schools? Mm. Turns out there is. It's called Lexile Levels. 
So they're high Lexile books. I believe the limit is 2,000 or something. So now, is this for like a high school, a college? Like how do they? I believe this is just used in schools in general. Oh. Uh, so most likely the higher ones would be high school and college level. But I don't see why this couldn't carry over to adulthood where people usually read less. Yeah. I know plenty of people that are probably uh, pretty low. Pretty low. low on this scale. Well, this scale might make you feel bad about yourself. Yeah, I'm sure it will. So, as uh, most scales do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we actually get into the episode of us, because I had a couple other things I wanted to discuss that are more random topics, uh, I wanted to bring up this quick list of just the highest Lexile books. And I don't think there are any 2000s on here, whatever the records are. Maybe it's 1500. It doesn't say on this, but these would still be considered the most difficult books for probably high school kids, I'm going to say. So, and this is no particular order, The Hobbit by Tolkien. Really? That has a level of 1,000. Now, remember, I said I th- I'm pretty sure 2,000 mm-hmm. or 2,500. 1,500 to 2,500, somewhere in there is like that, the most, di- Finnegan's Wake, like super unreadable or something. So, 1,000. So, this is a high-level book, but... On this list, it's considered one of the low ones, but I'm very surprised by that. I don't know how they come up with this, but having read The Hobbit, I will say just because the language and the the way it's written, I can understand. Even though that's a kid's book, quote unquote, that's actually for modern audiences, I would say an adult book, not even a young adult, Mm. an adult uh, level reading, which just shows you how we've fallen as a readership in this country. Um, And this, obviously, I'm going by U.S. metrics here. I don't know what this would fall you know, worldwide. Probably higher. Probably higher. This next one I have not heard of it is Codename Verity by Elizabeth Wine. Mm. Uh, that has a level of 1,020. Fever Crumb by Philip Reeve has a level of 1,000. Into the Wind by John Krakor. Uh, that is a 1,270. The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Haddon. That is a 1,090. Hatchet, which I read in fourth, third or fourth yeah. grade. That's a level uh, 1,020, so it's higher than The Hobbit. Yeah. That's where I'm starting to get a little confused. Hatchet is a difficult read compared to The Hobbit, like more difficult than yeah. The Hobbit. No way. That was like, I mean, I, that one, I think that's a young adult book or it, what we would consider a young adult level at this point, at most. Like that was, I thought it was an easy read in fourth yeah. grade or whatever. Of course, we did have all the summaries and packets and everything we had to follow, but I remember because when I was in school, I used to, if I could, I would read the book in a day or two just to be done with it. Mm-hmm. I didn't go by the chapters like yeah. we were supposed to. So that was like a one day or for me. Uh, next up, The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Juster. That's 1,000. The Tales of Beetle the Bard by J.K. Rowling. That's 1,230. I've never heard of that one. No. Uh, the Wonderful Wizard of Oz by Frank Baum. That is 1,090. The Bad Beginning... Uh, this is by Lemony Snicket. That's 1010. The White Stag by Kate Sarity. That's 1020. Perfect Princess, 1200. Oh, that's by Meg Cabot. And obviously, I'm not stopping on a lot of these ones that I haven't read or the ones that are very obvious, like Wizard of Oz, we already know. Uh, so this is where we get a little interesting because I know you read this one, so I'll have oh, to yeah. go by your metric. War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. That's a 1170 level. So it's uh, higher than the rest so far. Uh, Do you consider that a difficult book? No, no, not really. Well, if we were going by the school metric, would that be a high school read, elementary read, middle? I, w- I would probably say like uh, like middle school. Think that could be read? Yeah, middle like school? middle school, maybe like ninth grade at the like you know yeah. freshman. 
The Hero and the Crown by Robin McKinley, 1050. Dog Days by Jeff Kinney, that's 1010. Animal Animal Farm by George Orwell, I think we did that in fifth grade. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thousand ninety. But, but I could see where that one could. That be. was an easy one too. But, but I could also I could see where that would maybe be higher just because of like all like allegory like, and, and stuff like that. So I could see where that one could be a little bit higher. That's one not on re- uh, reflection. I don't exactly know why we did that in middle school. That seemed like that should be a high school read. Yeah, we read a lot of things in middle school that I would say most of us probably didn't understand fully. Like that, we didn't get all the you know the illusions and stuff that are in that book. A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. That is 1,150. Uh, the Pearl by John Steinbeck is 1010. Have you read that one? Yeah, that's a pretty easy read. I, I, I think it's a fair assessment. Life, the Universe, and Everything by Douglas Adams is also 1010. Again, also an easy read. Now, this is, all again, where I get in a little suspicious here. So, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne is only a 1030. Oh, really? I think that's probably a high school reading level just because, well, it depends on the translation you get, but just because of all the scientific, it, it, Moby Dick style scientific yeah, I was, jargon. I was just going to say, I'm surprised like Moby Dick hasn't made an appearance yet. Again, I don't know what the metrics are for this. Are we going by high school, middle school? Because a lot of, like we said, a lot of these are middle school books, I would say. Uh, the Case of the Bizarre Bouquets by Nancy Springer, that's uh, 1020. And I noticed a lot of the lower ones are also newer books. Mm. Most of the ones after 2010 or so. Heidi by Joanna Spirey is 1,000. Love That Dog by Sharon Creech is 1010. The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling is 1080. Empire of the Sun by J.G. Ballard is 1130. Um, And this list is almost over. Uh, I'm still the most one. The one that perplexes me the most is The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how that's considered like a compared to the Lord of the Rings. Yes, it's easy, but the language used in in the in the naming, like the names of the characters and stuff, I don't see how even high school kids would be able to find that as an easy read. You know, like you actually have to pay attention to it at least. Though, but like, um, it's not difficult, but it's not mm-hmm. easy either. It's like it's not a thousand mm-hmm. on this list. Maybe the like doing like factoring the nerds like all the nerds I don't and know. like you know what I mean that just would go through that stuff like water. Yeah. Okay. This one so far I thinks the highest rated one. The short and tragic life of Robert Peace by by Jeff Hobbs. Twelve twenty. There might have been another twelve twenty on the other side. I don't remember. Uh, the mysterious howling by Mayrose Wood is a thousand. Little Women by Louise May Alcott is ten ninety. The Wolves of Willoughby Chase by Joan. Aiken is 1020. Lockdown by Alexander Gordon Smith is 1010. Now, that's the list. When I originally read, uh, looked up that list, it was because I was wondering what level high school books were and am I just dumb? But I'm thinking they probably don't teach Moby Dick outside of advanced English in, or advanced literature in uh, high school. Same would go for probably any of the, the big classics we think of. I was trying to say, like, you know, Les Mis or Anna Karenina, War and Peace. I don't think they're even doing those in high school. Probably not. I'd be surprised if they do Moby Dick. They probably wouldn't do it just because of the name Dick in the title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't have the gender stuff anymore. It's Moby Them. It's Moby They. <laughs> I would think that Huckleberry Finn, while he, it's not a challenging read, probably is left for advanced classes now just because of the subject matter. I would like to investigate that more of with all the book banning going on to see what classics are banned. 
because that seems mm, yeah. really disgusting, you know? And for some reason, I feel like the South wouldn't ban Huckleberry Finn. That would be the one they want to keep. <laughs> yeah. And just give you, make the, you say the word all the time. <laughs> well, that segues into another part of this episode I wanted to discuss was our intelligence level Spencer. I like to think that I'm a fairly, at least at this point in our reading careers, I'm a fairly higher level reader now. Mm-hmm. I always I always like to point out that I'm smart enough to know how dumb I am. Yes. You know, I'm smart uh-huh. enough to know how smart I'm not. Mm-hmm. I can read Ulysses, the Iliad. I can read any of these books. Challenge level doesn't matter. The issue for me is the comprehension of a lot of it. So when it comes to a Ulysses, we'll use Blood Meridian as a better example because that's one we both kind of read. Mm. While I could have read the entire book read summaries, watched movies, did all that extra work and understood it fairly well. I don't think I could ever understand the text as written, like just straight off. I don't think my intelligent level is just that high. Another thing just comes with training as well. Neither of us are university educated. We never went through the classes of how to read classic literature or got the books like read like a professor, all that stuff. So we can't break down these things I don't even say it's not that we can't break down. I think it's... We just don't. Don't want to. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know what level of laziness (laughs) uh, is brought up there, but I find the higher-end readers, like the people who really get the most out of fine literature, are the ones who... They'll read one book for a whole year, and that's the only book. And not just read it, reread it, break it down. Read it multiple times, not just in their lifetime, maybe even like every year they read it once or something. We do not do that. Well, what it is is that we don't we don't study whatever it is that we're reading. We still are. I I feel like I'm probably a little more so than you breaking from the just reading for pure entertainment. Yeah, I think I'm at the point now where I don't necessarily study the work because we both watch summaries and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know we do like to get more meaning from the stuff, but we're not buying like the companion books and stuff. We're not, you know, you don't read a novel and then immediately, well, I'm going to read the the novel that's written about the novel. Yeah. Like, so I could study it and all this stuff. I am starting to get to that point. Like I said, I got Ulysses, but I got the Cambridge edition that has all the essays and stuff in it. But that's more along the lines of, I just want to understand the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like, I'm reading the Iliad. I end up skipping most of the preface, all the introduction and stuff, because it did, I don't care. I just want the story, you know? I don't know if you ever go down that road where it's like you read a book that's kind of challenging and you want to look more into it. I find like the video essays, not only is that the easiest route, but for me, I I understand those more. I think when you read a lot of the dry uh, academic stuff on these works, you you just get it's the same as reading the work. You're just like, oh, I'm falling asleep. I don't care. But uh, we've had this discussion before, though. It's like, are you just reading for pure entertainment? Are you reading for more? I'm like in the middle now. So I'm not just reading for pure entertainment. I pick things that I think will challenge me and I'll learn from. Uh, have you gotten to that level yet, you think? not No, not particularly. Have you had any interest, though, in getting that? Because I know you've mentioned like, oh, I may want to read Dante's Inferno or yeah. the, you know, the Divine Comedy. And yeah, stuff but like- that's a story that I've always heard about. 
And that's mm. always been something that has piqued an interest in me. So it's not still like, oh, I want to learn how whenever it was written, you know, play written yeah. from wherever it was and whoever wrote it or whatever. Just like, I know like the basic concepts and like, you know, with all the circles of hills and all that things and stuff in it, it just, it seems interesting and something that I've always kind of wanted to check out, but it's still as something I just, I want to experience or, you know, cause I, like, cause I don't think those would be maybe as entertaining or, or joyful to read, but like, like I said, just more of like, this is just the thing that I've heard a whole bunch about yeah. and I want to check it out, but I don't have like this like need to be like to read it and try to. So from the academic side, yeah. even if you read it, you're not going to go and find out the whole biography of Dante. Or, Probably not. No. Or try to break down all the, you know, the meanings and where he came up with the stuff. Yeah, and, I mean, unless they're fucking by the time I get done with it and I'm like, wow, like I need, you know, need more, but. Yeah, I know I haven't ever really got into the academic, you know, part yet. I think what for me is a it's more about the stuff that interests me. Yeah. And as a writer, I find a lot of the writing devices used interest me and the language used. So that's kind of what draws me in and I kind of I credit the uh, Tolkien for that because when I read those Lord of the Ring books, that really shifted my perspective of, oh, you could really like do interesting things with just the language and not just the what does this word mean, but what could, could this word mean? What else could it mean? Which is more of a Shakespearean side is where you go, oh, you read this and you think it means this, but it actually means something else. And then that's kind of when I started to get into the not just more difficult literature, because I always like classic literature, you know, even like the Steinbecks and the Hemingways and stuff. Uh, but those aren't difficult reads. But then I started getting into like you know, uh, James Joyce, and even to a degree like David Foster Wallace, like you know more contemporary stuff, Cormac McCarthy. And I just find that it's really interesting how people, even if I don't like the story and I think the work is kind of dull or boring, I could better appreciate the work that went into it. It's more like craft. It's like when you like. If you learn how to build tables or something, or you're a woods like a woodworker and you're shit, mm -hmm. you're not good at it at all. But you know, like you you've done it enough where you when you see somebody who could do it really well, you know. you're like, oh shit, that's really difficult. Where mm -hmm. some people just see a rock, like see a rocking chair, you go, holy fuck, that thing is amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, I, like I get that. Uh, I I I always have that like with my comics, like. I know enough to where, like, you you know, you look at being, oh, yeah, that's just somebody just, you know, draw a figure and, like, you know, whatever. But, like, I look at that page and I know, like, I, I can tell the 15 hours yeah. that, I, that, that the person spent working on that page, you know, and all the minor details and, like, oh... The, the you know the the angles and the camera angles and all the perspective and, and and stuff like that. See, a lot of times when I read comic books, I almost gloss over the artwork, mm -hmm. which a lot of people do. I don't necessarily, unless it's really amazing. I don't generally just go, oh shit, like just the shading on this mm -hmm. and the coloring, and then whoever the inker was, like you could really break it down and just like, oh, this is amazing. I do better appreciate comic book art now that I watched uh, a manga documentary. Not. Yeah, it was probably about a year ago now. And I just watched how the guy, it was an older guy who was like, he started working in like the 70s and 80s, how he goes about drawing mangas and just you see the technique where mm -hmm. it's literally just lines that don't look like anything and you never can guess the perspective he's drawing until mm -hmm. all of a sudden he, wait a minute, that's a face? Yeah. Holy shit, that's a hand. Yeah. And then it just comes out amazing. That guy was obviously a master, so it came out really quickly. But some people, 
Like, you could just see how long it takes them. But you never really know unless you tried your hand at that. Well, and that's like even like, uh, you know, whenever we go to conventions and I get a commission, I always least like to try to catch it in progress and watch yeah. the guy work on it just for like a couple minutes. Because, like, it's just fascinating. Like, I could stand over somebody's, fo- like, shoulder and just watch them just work out from beginning to end. Because it's just, it's fascinating to me. To, and just to see it, like like you said, because it, it just starts out as a couple lines. And it just slowly starts to, to take, take shape and form. Yeah, that stuff is just really fun. I love those time-lapse videos. I mean, I would watch them, like, if they put yeah. them out for, like, the full time it did. But, you know, nobody ever wants to put out a video for no, that for long of doing a head 20 sketch. 20 hours. I get lost in all kinds of things like that, like Todd McFarlane videos, like he does yeah. the digital art and just the way he does it so quickly and efficiently because he's been doing it so long. I just I get lost in that sometimes. You know, it's another one that I, I went down a long wormhole for this and it's amazing and I have no skill at it. Like I tried my hand at just wood carving and I'm not that yeah. good at it. Sculptors uh-huh. like like that do marble statues. I watched uh, a couple videos of Yeah, when they're just like chiseling it out of a block. Well, even before that, they have to do the clay model just so they can see what it's going to look like to come up with the original shape. Mm -hmm. And then they, you know, before they start chopping into anything. And I'm just like, there's no way this blob's going to be, oh my fucking God, that's amazing. Like within like instance. Or do you see, uh, I remember, I I think this was the thing that was bigger a couple years ago, but like people like doing shit like that with like chainsaws into trees and stuff. And it's like, it's a chainsaw. How much detail can you get? You'd be be surprised. Well, what really blew my mind, I'm going to see if I can find the actual uh, artist who did this. Um, or have you ever seen any videos with artists where they're drawing with both their, of their hands at the same time on the same picture? Yeah, that's like a weird uh, yeah, brain like, thing that I know I don't you can't even comprehend that. Like, yeah, how how do you how does that uh, like process that? How how is your mind able to process all that information? It's just it's it's crazy. Okay, so there's a few, but this this I guess it's a technique I just find so amazing. So this is a general one. It's a general one. Uh, it's called the Veiled Virgin. I can't find who was the one who carved this. But when they do the veils on the fucking marble. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, that's just crazy to me. And then the other one that was real famous is, uh, this is, uh, who's, uh, why does it, uh, fucking Google sucks. It's not even showing the whole one. Like, this one, I can't find the name of this. But, like, if you look, like, when you see the, with the feet, yeah. Yeah, but he he has a whole, uh, I think, I don't know if it's supposed to be Christ. But it just it looks like a body with a silk blanket draped over him yeah. or a cloth, and it looks amazing. How do you even think to be a, like? I just well, you can make a rock look like it's like real. fabric. Well, wasn't it uh, Michelangelo who did like the statues where you could see the individual muscles that mm-hmm. would only flex if he the person moved their pinky a certain mm-hmm. way. And like, oh, a certain tendon pops out if you moved your hand a certain way, and like all, like it was so detailed that most people then, wouldn't even realize. Especially back then, yeah, like it makes sense to be able to do something like that now with today's technology. But that's the thing: most modern sculptors, if they're you know, there's not too many of them, probably uh, they don't, they can't do that work. Like they're just not that. You have to be genius, yeah. I think. That's one of those things. Well, that's like you know, like Da Vinci too, like just yeah. a ridiculously smart guy. Or another one that uh, gets me. When you see those uh, realistic drawings people do, mm. and it looks like, usually they're like pencil and stuff, but when you watch them do it, it looks like a photograph, And but then you see them doing it, it's like, are you even drawing on this? Yeah. I can't understand how this is formed. Like It just looks like a 100% photograph. 
usually they have water on the face or like so much detail. Yeah. So much detail that like the art's so amazing that it's not amazing because you just think I could take a photograph then right. at this you, point. You, you think it's <laughs> almost like um like AI or uh, you know yeah. before the AI became like a big thing like oh somebody just scanned this picture and did like some kind of filter over it or something yeah just made it black and white uh, I just I wish I had the uh, acumen to be like an amazing artist but I don't I can barely draw good good well I can barely draw well uh, but we are slightly above average guys at best I'd like to think I'm a better writer than some people but I don't know at this point it, it's so weird too with that because like. It, there's so many writers, but there's a, it seems like there's never any writers around. Yeah, that you can be like, well, I'm better than that guy, but I feel like he got a leg up on me. But that guy over there, I know I can write way better than him. Like you know, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. You don't have to. You have to go online, and it's a hard thing to measure. Measure. One thing that makes me happy in this world is the rare times where I give a chance, like to an author I don't know, and I read a bad book. Mm. And not even just like a bad story or a story I don't connect with, but just a bad book, bad writing, or like a Chuck Palahniuk haunted, just yeah. garbage. Like, eh. Because when I read those things, especially when they're from well-to-do authors who are famous or at least make a living it doing you it. a little glimmer of hope. I'm like, holy shit, I'm better than this guy. Like, I could actually write. Like, this is going to sound super fucking arrogant. When I read The Road by Cormac McCarthy. The writing style, like I, one hundred percent, I feel I could have wrote the road mm. because just the, with the style, the exact style he used in that book is very minimalistic. Uh, obviously, he doesn't use like punctuation that much, like the quotations and stuff. So I have a leg up on that, but that's just the style. But even just going into the way it's written and the story itself, I've come up with thousands of ideas like that. I just never fleshed them out because they don't seem like something worth you know while really like that's not gonna become popular but because he was already famous yeah you know he's able to write that and it wins him a fucking pulitzer prize when i read something like that i'm like i can write like that which is good that's not my writing style but i can write like that so when i read things like that it makes me happier now like even going to like reading like the hike by drew mcgarry when I read that, it motivated me just because, like, there's so much imagination. Yeah, it was, like, something different. But it showed you that you could, do. you could throw everything at the fucking wall and still have a cohesive story that's fun and great. So I like things that expand your mind like that, especially uh, when you don't expect it to, you know? Because we picked that book because it was on a list of weird books. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was going to be a good book. Right. I thought it was going to be a weird book. Like, things like that just make me happy because it motivates me. And I think that's what I need lately because I haven't been writing very well. Just because I haven't felt like it, but I think a large part of that is because the literature I've been reading. Lately, I was just, I was just gonna say, do you think that's because of coming off Jerusalem and now you're going into? Well, I read Jerusalem, Shakespeare, the Iliad. Yeah. These are all things I'm not gonna be able to not just emulate, but they're just not gonna motivate me to write because, like Jerusalem, did a little because of the writing devices used. I was like, okay, that's cool. But when it comes that to that, probably more gave you like ideas than more than anything. Like, yeah. Oh, oh, I could do that. I could see how I could use that for something. Yeah. But it also brought me down because I was like, I could never write this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's a lot in here that I could never even begin to fathom how he created it. But when it comes to like Shakespeare and stuff, that's when I read that, it's like you don't even get the idea. It's like when you watch like an NBA game. Like, sometimes they make it look so easy. You're like, oh, I, know. I used to be pretty good at basketball. If I really worked hard, I probably could have played professionally or something. But then if you played against, the, like, one of those guys. Like, I've played against but D1. Like, even, like I could have maybe went to college if I just yeah. put in the time and the effort. Well, I played, like, pickup games with, like, D1 
two guys. I think even some D one guys are like six seven and stuff. And the difference. Oh yeah. He was like, holy shit. And they're not. They weren't even playing it. They just used to be. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't fucking currently D one D two athletes. They just used to be. And he play against them. I'm like, oh no, I never had a chance. Yeah. Never had a shot. <laughs> that's like that's with writing. Sometimes you read a book and you're like, like yeah, if I'm reading Shakespeare, I don't have it. I can't compete with that at all. But uh, Chuck Palahniuk, I feel like I could write his books. I well, I read ha- or yeah, read Haunted, so I can't really judge. But I'd imagine Fight Club's not difficult. Well, even Steinbeck, a lot of like I read all of Steinbeck stuff. I'm just I could write that. Yeah, just because it's not necessarily difficult does not necessarily mean that it's not good or what to do or, or even challenging yeah but just like hp lovecraft i can't compete on that level with the way he wrote That's i don't what, know if i would want to no like a faulkner i'm not competing with faulkner what about um hemingway i could what about uh conan um robert e howard i could compete with robert e howard he'd be do, i'd probably do uh my versions if i was writing sword and sorcery and stuff would not be i mean but they'd be modernized probably so you have to have a modern lens on that. But if you wanted to be like Robert E. Howard's work, like if I'm competing directly with Robert E. Howard, I'm going to come up short. But that's not like the genre stuff I write either, though. But like a Hemingway, I feel like I could write anything that Hemingway's written. I have never read any Hemingway where I was blown away like, oh, this guy's on a different level. Yeah, just one, you know what, 100%, I'll say that because a lot of people put him up as one of the greatest writers of all time. I think that's a little overblown. I don't find his work challenging. And you and you're you're a fan. You, you, yeah, you I like Hemingway. Him. I just I don't think uh, like now Fitzgerald. I can't compete with the great Gatsby, like that writing style and just the metaphor uses and stuff. What do you think? How do you think you could do uh, like King style? Yeah, I think no. Again, I'm, this is, sounds arrogant. This yeah. is, I'm not saying I could be fucking Hemingway no, yeah. or King or anybody like that. Or even like a Hunter S. Thompson kind of writer. I'm just saying, like from the functional standpoint, I could come up with The Shining mm-hmm. and write The Shining. It's not gonna be Stephen King's The Shining. It's gonna be Caleb James's The Shining. But I could tell that story in my own way, and I could do, at least like to think I could do it justice. Obviously, anytime you do something that's you know be compared to the, if I wrote The Shining, it's gonna be compared to The Shining. Yeah. But I'm saying the idea. It's not wholly original. Some of his stuff. You know, it's pretty original, but some of it's just like anyone can come up with that idea. Well, I guess maybe when I meant when I say King, I guess I more meant towards like the his acumen towards like storytelling and characters, maybe. Yeah, I think uh, character development would be a strong point of mine in long written form. I say because I haven't read anything of yours that's real long. long, Yeah, that's yeah, that's been long. That hasn't been like a genre stuff. Uh, I think I could, uh, like, my my dialogue's pretty good, I think. Um, like, you'll have to read the one story. I have, I have two stories you actually need to read. I think you'll like both of them a lot. Yeah. Because I think they're written in a unique, interesting way, and they're my voice. But when it comes to, well, even that short flash fiction I got uh, published by Literally Stories, that, uh, even though it only took a couple minutes to write, I felt like that could easily be a funny, hilarious novel if I wanted it about yeah. two fucking spirits who they're bought they got murdered by a fucking maniac in the woods and they're both just sitting there grumbling over their bodies yeah. about whose fault it was that they got yeah. murdered like you fucking asshole you're the one who went up and talked to him like yeah. i guess it's just easy stuff like that i don't have problems with that for me like where the real difficult comes from uh difficulty comes from is you know if you really want it to be deeper meaning metaphorical 
allegories, like all the real deep, like literature, literature, you know, or like you even go into like the Faulkner stuff. But again, not a lot of people like reading that stuff. But as far as just the writing of like a Stephen King, he's not considered a great uh, literary writer for yeah. a reason because his style doesn't necessarily lend it. He touches on it sometimes. Haruki Murakami touches on it more, but even him, and that could be the translation too, because we never, we're never going to understand like yeah, exactly. what his actual stories are like. But I would say even him, who's considered probably one of the Nobel Prize nominate, like high nominated, that people are assuming because you don't know, probably was a runner up many times uh, for the Nobel Prize in literature. But a popularity and literary ability kind of go hand in hand for him but if you know you've read some of his stuff mm -hmm. now would you say it's real literary literary honestly i i wouldn't now at least from the stuff that i've read so far yeah i don't know and again i mean that's very subjective of what's considered literary because he's not necessarily a genre writer but when you read some of his more challenging works you might get you start to understand it but it's still written the same way you were the, the the last two, his first two novels that we just read, I feel like those could maybe be a little bit more literature because there's no, like, there's no Magical we realism going on. It's, you know, everyday kind of slice of life following these characters, you know, for a certain period of time. And the funny thing is, other than the actual story being told, I didn't find those two books much different than your run-of-the-mill Hemingway stuff yeah. or, you know, just, like, simplistic writing and... Not very deep meaning, honestly. Because Hemingway, like, oh, you know, it's all this deep meaning stuff. Not too much. I think mm -hmm. people like to break things down a lot more than that's really there. Well, you get that in music and movies yeah. and everything. What the author meant, like, no, no, the I, I've I've seen inherent things when the author said what he what yeah. he's seen meant, and sometimes it's nothing. Let's put it this way: I could never write a Moby Dick. Yeah, I could write a story about whales. I could never even hope to write something as magical as Moby Dick minus the whaling stuff yeah. like get rid of the whale chapters and then you actually have a story though that's still like very well written and amazing I can't write a Poe story because I too I'm not smart enough that's basically what it comes down to I'm not smart enough to write a Poe story it doesn't matter how much I study I say Poe would, would be one of those other ones where we were talking about earlier about like the app academic kind of thing yeah. but again like i'm not necessarily reading would want to read that for that i would be wanting to read that because it's like i've heard things or i've heard seen these stories be told in different ways but i've always wanted to check out like the original you know source material and stuff like that and he's also done the first detective stories and i like detective stories poe is interesting because he wrote in an academic way and by academic i don't mean academic as in like scientific journal style just talking about what would be studied in universities, you know, what was considered like a higher end literature. He wrote in that style, but he was one of the first genre guys. Yeah. All his stuff is either horror or, you know, you said the first detective story. He didn't write, you know, what he just considered dry literature. Mark Twain was a humorist. He was a satirist. He didn't write dry literature, but he's considered one of the greatest I classic feel like lit writers. not enough of that any or any at all really anymore. Like funny, right? Like comedy. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. I mean, there's people who 
if it is, it's a it, hard line to write something that's funny, but it still could be considered art. Yeah, if that makes sense. So instead of just your slapstick funny novel, this would be like a Huckleberry Finn hilarious novel, that, but obviously very deep meaning. That, or like it's kind of like the um, when you do uh, come across it, it's like that Norman Donald book where it's like it's kind of like a biography. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like of just straight fiction that's funny. Norm MacDonald's book was very great in my opinion because it reminded me of Mark Twain. Yeah, I remember you you mentioned that. Mentioned he, that I mean, before. obviously a lot more crass. Think more Hunter S. Thompson than Mark Twain. But the way it's written, it's like if you had Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, and Mark Twain all combine their forces to Which write a funny book. Was all like a fan of, yeah. right? And then threw in fucking prison rape jokes and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like he just, it's one well, of those. You, you put all those together, then you have uh, his his dry delivery. His dry, oh. yeah, it it catches you just like a stand up comedy. It really catches you off guard because he plays the dumb guy so yeah. well, and then you're like, no, this guy's reading fucking yeah. Russian literature all the time. He's very intelligent, but he plays the dumb guy. And even in the book, it shows like this. Whoever, even if you didn't know him, you'd read that and be. Like, this is so goofy and stupid, mm. but whoever wrote this was so fucking smart. Well, even a lot of times with his like stupid jokes, they're like real deep. You're yeah, like, and then you're like, and then you're like, oh wait, wait a minute, yeah, which goes circles all the way back around yeah. to us being dumb. Yep. What makes me mad is we never got another Norm Macdonald book. Yeah, he, like he's. Re- I would really wish he would have pursued writing because he that like I said that was one of my favorite books. Still is one of my favorite books of recent. Yeah, because I, w- I would have liked to just see what it, like a straight up fiction book of what would have been like from him. Yeah, if, what if he just decided to write like an actual literary book? I think he could. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I said, Mark Twain style. Uh, but there's not too many even writers uh, in general that come along like that. I want to read some of that David Duchovny stuff because he's very intelligent. Mm-hmm. I would imagine he would touch on that kind of, uh, like that rarefied air. Well, that's why, like, I don't know if, if you, like, noticed or it's been a, you know, been a while since you really read any of my stuff since the website's been down. But that's why, like, I would always try to have some, like, a especially in, like, the longer form things, like some comedy beats, like, you yeah. know, just some humor and you know thrown in there i can't remember the last full novel i read that didn't have humor in it that's a that's a tough one now that i think about it i know i've read somewhere i'm just like probably cormac mccarthy yeah outer dark probably was the last one really good book but it's like once you read that you're like you are emotionally drained you're like god Mm -hmm. damn is it bleak does it ever get better you read Blood Meridian. You read the Blood Meridian. Actually, might have had some funny parts in it. You read The Road, though, not one. But like, I feel like the uh, uh, Blood Meridian is like that kind of almost like that super dark. Yeah. Like you just have to laugh at some things, or you're just gonna be crushed by it all. Yeah, pretty much. It, yeah, it's fucking rough. But I do like some humor in my work. We should read some more Mark. Well, you need to just read Mark. Yeah, that, that is something I need to get. I, I do need to. He's one of those guys. I wish he would have wrote more as well because he has a few other things that aren't, you know, as well known. But they're really like he has that uh, a Yankee in King Arthur's court. It sounds like it's probably really funny, but that's so dated. I don't know if I would really like a lot of his stuff. It's just I don't. I read some of his short stories. And it's like, oh, the invention of the telephone, the first yeah. phone call. This is kind of funny, but I can't really relate to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but especially when you're probably reading the the story on your phone. And yeah, the, and the story's about the first phone. call. I did. Yeah, like... it was very fucking. <laughs> oh, what a crazy time to be alive. 
It makes me sick to think that the Great Gatsby is like a hundred years old. It's like all these works that I love, and I'm just like, oh, that's like, wow, that's uh, that's a lifetime ago. And now. they're all getting redone in modern t- with modern twists, twist, yeah, and modern themes. That's what I like about the classic Spencer. They're just stuck in that time period, and you don't have to worry about them being updated. But if you focus on modern times, you'll see them updated by fucking hacks all the time. All the time. All the time. Anyway, I feel like we could talk about this for five hours because it's just a fun topic, yeah. but we don't need to. I said I want a 30-minute episode. It did, 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 did not happen. I, I was kept on thinking about pointing to the screen, but... That's yeah, all right. Folks, we thank you for listening. If you want to check us out or follow us on social media... At DPW Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Oh, you can follow me at CalebJamesK.com. See my work. And also, I post podcasts a lot on there. Uh, you can follow Spencer. He is the Denver. Did I say it? Yeah. Yes, you do. No, don't be mad because it's not one you came up with. The Denver Dildo. The Denver Denver Dildo Dealer. All right. They're All right. a trench coat. Oh. Home, home to home delivery, or it depends. Uh, what are you willing to pay? Yeah. Uh, you can also get bent. <laughs> uh, so I like to reiterate, though, we're not that smart. We dumb. We're smart enough to be able to read this stuff, but not necessarily smart enough to understand it. We're smart enough to realize how dumb we are. That's a bad place to be, too. <laughs> yeah. If you're stupid, then you're fine because ignorance is bliss. Oh my god. But if you're smart, but not smart enough to do anything with it. You get stuck. Then you know how monotonous life is. Mm. You get stuck in a shitty retail job or maybe at best you're a manager of a Walmart or something. But you see, you wake up or you go to the office and you work nine to five and you realize what a sham life is. But you can't quite figure out how to change it without making drastic changes to your life. And you're smart enough enough to know the consequences because if you're a little dumber... You just be like, oh, fuck it. What's the worst that can happen? Fuck it. I'm going to be an actor. I don't care if I'm homeless for 10 years. And then you become an actor. Or if you're really smart, you'll just be successful and, you know, you'll figure it out. But when you're our level of smart, you're just like, I know the consequences and I don't know how to overcome. Like, I can't. The risk versus reward. I can't balance it right in my head. I can't make the reward seem better than the risk. Yeah. I can't risk losing my house to find and fulfill my dream. So you just become a um, fucking middling novelist at best. I wish I was a middling novelist. Oh. That's my dream like, at this point. I just want to yeah. be a middling novelist that some people read. Yes, that would be nice. <laughs> I, like, I read enough that you can maybe take like an extra day off of work. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice. Anyway, we thank you for listening, and we will check you out. Next week, also follow Amirakami Minute final episode this Friday. Friday. Actually, it'll be published. Will it be? Fuck it. Listen to it. It's up sometime. Thank you.